Good morning and welcome family. We trust that God's presence is lingering with you as we step forward into this year. And we are excited to be sharing some of our Faith Promise feedback with you today during the service, as well as news from our missionaries across the globe. They were able to join us for an online retreat during our week of prayer and fasting. If the phrase Faith Promise is new to you, stay tuned, we would love to tell you more. But for now, it's time to worship the Lord, so let's turn our faces towards Him and worship Him with all of our hearts. Let every nation, tribe and tongue, let every generation come. To our God and our King Let every woman, child and man With open hearts and lifted hands Give praise to our God and our King Fear his name. 
just lift your name up, Jesus. And we just speak it over our lives. The most beautiful name, the most wonderful name, the most powerful name, Jesus. And I just want to speak the name of Jesus.
Jesus, you have filled our hearts as we have worshipped you this morning. Your name is on our lips and, and may we take your name into every place and space that we go into in this week. And Lord, as we prepare to, as part of our worship, give to you, we want to thank you that you are our source. You are our provider. You're also the one who comforts us and meets us in our time of need. So thank you that you have been with us this morning and that you will be with us as we go forward into this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we prepare to give our tithes and offerings in this week, uh, won't you put, uh, set aside that which you've purposed in your heart to give to the Lord. The different details will come up on the screens. The relevant banking details for the different churches will come up on the screens. Thank you as always for your giving, for your generosity and for being faithful to the Lord at this time. Thank you so much for your generous giving. You are an amazing community that just keeps on giving in these times. And that includes giving to Faith Promise. And I really want to thank you for the pledge of 2021 and for your giving in that. And it's our privilege to give you a little bit of update how it's going with Faith Promise. And that's why it's great to have Pam with me as part of the team that oversees the Faith Promise Fund. Uh, for those of you that might not know what Faith Promise is, it's a fund that our community gives to that where the money is directed to things beyond ourselves, to out, to make a difference across the street and across the globe. So Pam, how's our Faith Promise doing at the moment? What's happening? Just tell us some of the news. Well, we have an amazing community that has been so faithful to the Faith Promise giving even in these tricky times. And we're so encouraged by the fact that our Faith Promise pledge for 2021, we are just over 380,000 Rand ahead wow. of what has been pledged up to this time. That's fantastic. And I know as part of that, it's enabled us to do a retreat with our missionaries recently, where they joined us from all over the world, zoomed into a whole week where you spent time together with them. I, I was a little bit part of that, and it's, it just was an amazing time. So tell us a bit more about that. So during our week of prayer and fasting, our missionaries joined us for an online retreat. We got a team from Spain, located in Spain, that we know, and they facilitated, they are actually experts in caring for people that are missionaries across the world, and they facilitated this retreat where the missionaries could come and just process the realities of their COVID experience, mm. um, to process it in a space of belonging, in a space of being at home. I'm so glad we were able to do that. 
Are missionaries doing well? Are they all okay? Yeah, they're doing, they're doing very well. But of course, it's to be expected there have been some losses. Mm. And I, I'm just thinking of one of our missionary ladies who lost her mom um, to COVID in December. And just like in our community, has actually really struggled to process um, that loss. Mm. And um, so the, the retreat for her was just a wonderful time to mm. be able to face the reality of her grief and um, as we are experiencing in our own spaces. Mm. Well, I think we're all sorry to hear that they're also feeling the loss, but thankful that we, through our contribution and faith promise, are able to play some part in their journey of processing and restoration within these spaces. No, absolutely. So, so every, every gift matters, every bit counts, and to be able to afford our missionaries this space to mm. process their joys and their losses. It's not just mm. losses, but their joys and their losses in the reality of COVID has been really amazing. Yeah, I think one of the realities we've seen with COVID is that how important it is to remain connected to other people. And um, I want you to know that that's what Faith Promise makes possible. Right here in our own city, uh, we are connected to people because of Faith Promise. We are connected to our partner ministries that are serving right here in our city. And through them, we are able to to help people stay connected and we are connected to them and we also across the globe we are able to be connected to the missionaries and they part of us because of the faithful giving and I want to tell you that our theme for this year is every cup counts every little bit we give makes a difference and uh, I want to invite you if you haven't been part of our faith promise journey so far why don't you consider to become part of it and um, if you pray about it if the Lord leads you you go onto our website and you follow the process and then you can also contribute and your giving like with all of us together it makes a difference right here in our own city and across the globe it can make a big difference so why don't you pray about it and consider to be part of faith promise thank you pam for Pleasure. you and your team for the yeah. great job you're doing and for just serving our community in this way i'm going to hand over to neil today he's going to be sharing the message with us at the end of the message there's a special benediction prayer by our missionaries in the languages of the countries they come from um, that's going to end the service and I want you to stay and be part of that so here's over to neil The title of my message this morning is A Move for All. A Move for All. Uh, we've been busy with our series so far this year, and Pastor Louis preached some significant sermons and some great sermons for us. Uh, but this morning we want to look, as, as we continue to look at the book of Acts, to focus on this aspect of how God's move included all people, but also reached all people. But I wonder if you've ever felt left out, perhaps felt second class, marginalized in any way. Uh, often when I think of this uh, around this area, I think of those games we used to play at school, you know, perhaps during the sports periods or the, you know, the sports and recreation, we used to call them physical education periods where you, know, you make two different teams and two people get picked and then they pick different people from different teams, usually the brightest or the fastest or maybe their friends and then you kind of always hope you're not left for last. It's, it's that sinking feeling as more and more people get called out. I wonder if I'm sure each of us has had an experience somewhere where we have felt left out or less than or maybe even second class. Uh, I remember in the town I grew up in, the, the town is actually built on an east-west axis, but kind of on the, the east side of the town was more called the bottom part of town. And then the, towards the west where perhaps more the wealthier people in the town lived, the town was quite um, economically zoned, if I can use polite language to put it that way. It was a mining town, and so depending on where you worked or what your occupation was, you lived in a certain part of town. 
And so uh, we happened to live on, in the bottom part of town. It, it was closer to the school that we went to. And, and so I think even though my dad had gotten some ad advances or promotions at work, we kind of still stayed in the, what was called the poorer part of town. And we always spoke about going up into the other part of town. And I remember thinking uh, when I was growing up that that actually made me feel a bit less than, that made me feel second class. And I think many of us have had that experience where just based on uh, where you lived, you felt included or excluded, especially if all your friends uh, lived in another part of the town, perhaps. And sometimes when we decide that we're going to move with God or that God starts moving us, it, it implies a change. Uh, and perhaps that change can lead to us feeling a little bit left out or a little bit disorientated. You see, as Pastor Louis shared last week, if we're going to confront the patterns of the world, that's a change. It causes us to move from where we are. It causes us to move from conforming to that pattern, to challenging it and perhaps even transforming that pattern. Sometimes not only are we challenging the patterns of the world, but we're challenged by the patterns of the world as well. That can make us also feel left out. And particularly even when we have to confront ungodly patterns in our own hearts, uh, in our own lives, or even in our families, that can lead to a sense of being left out, a sense of alienation, perhaps, is a good word. Now, it's not good to feel second class at any stage in terms of our value and, and the fact that we're made in God's image. But sometimes as believers, we are, Peter uses the language that we're aliens and foreigners in this world because we don't conform to the patterns of the world. We don't conform to how things get done. This was the experience of the Christians in the first century as they got increasingly ostracized from the world that they were living in because they started being transformed into the patterns of God. And I kind of think this sense of being other or being a foreigner or an alien is part of the package of when we become an ambassador for the kingdom of God, when we become an agent for the kingdom of God in our spaces. You see, we do live in the world, but we're not of it. And so there's this idea that we are expected to be different. But when God moves through his spirit, and that's what we see pictured for us in the book of Acts, it's not a move that excludes, it's a move that includes, it's a move for all. This is also why having a community of believers, being part of a church or a church family, a family of believers is so important because if every day we're confronted by these patterns that go against how we want to live, that go against our values as believers, that go against God's ways, it's really great to come to a family and to have people praying with you and connecting with you, to come to join in church in whatever format you're joining it at this stage, to be reminded of who we are, to meet with people that want to shape their lives in the same way that we're shaping our lives, to be part of the all and the inclusive move of what God is doing at this time. So I want to make a statement, and I'll come back to it a bit later in my message, and it's this, is that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. No one is less than. No one is left out. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, and there is no one who is not invited to participate in the kingdom of God. And once you've responded to that invitation, there's no one who's not invited to be involved and to engage with what God is doing and the mission of God on the earth. So there's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, and there's no one who's not invited into the kingdom. And so as we've been looking at the book of Acts, we see that God has been moving. God is working in this first-century church. He's busy expanding his kingdom from Jerusalem to Judea, 
And then as Luke puts it to the ends of the earth. And God is building this new community where all are invited. And we know it's, it's not a perfect community. It doesn't go smoothly. Last week, Pastor Louis spoke about Acts chapter 6, where there was some challenge in the division of resources with the, the, the Grecian widows. We know from passages like in Acts 15, they, they met at the Jerusalem Council to resolve a, a conflict about how do the Jews and the Gentiles live together and, and what's required to be part of this community, the part of this family of God. Because God offers forgiveness to everyone who comes in faith and, and in repentance. But then when we become part of this community, we need to learn to live according to God's patterns and to follow God's patterns. So perhaps to understand this a little bit better, let's talk briefly about the, the reality of the Roman world, the world that we read that, the, that forms the broader context, the Roman Empire, the Greco-Roman world, that the Christians that we read about in Acts, our historical brothers and sisters, the world that they lived in, what was what was that like? Well, what we do know is that it was a very rigid society. It was a society that was strongly divided. It was a socially divided world. The Roman world was a socially divided world. Uh, it was based on heredity. The family you were born into determined your lot and your status in life. If you were born as a slave, you were a slave. If you were born into a rich, noble family, you were kind of set for life just based on where you were born determined your class, determined your status in life. Wealth could perhaps help you change social status, but not so easily. Uh, citizenship, if you were a Roman citizen, and, and even as we read in the book of Acts, uh, Paul was born a Roman citizen, but he interacts with one of the guys who, was, who had bought his Roman citizenship. And so even there, there's a bit of a division. There's a marginalization that's taking place. We know that there were people who were free and who were slaves. Vast percentage of the people living in the Roman Empire were slaves. There were strong economic divisions based on that, based on your freedom determined your status. And it was very difficult to change status, very difficult to move between classes, to cross the barriers. Gender roles were very entrenched. If you were perhaps a woman and you were born in a more wealthy family, you'd have a measure of more freedom. But the roles were very defined, very entrenched. Everyone had their place and space. Uh, everyone is governed within a specific space. What we see throughout the New Testament is one of the big divisions that is overcome, is this, the division between Jews and Gentiles. Now, Jews as a national group or an ethnic group, and Gentiles was kind of everybody else. It was Greeks and Romans and Scythians and people who lived in Asia Minor. Any other person alive on the planet from the Jewish worldview was a Gentile. And as Paul writes in Ephesians and Colossians for us, he marvels at what God did to, to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. It's kind of, I think Paul is saying to us that you know, if God could bring the Jews and the Gentiles, these two very separate groups together, God can bring anybody together. I want to borrow a phrase from uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. I'm going to read it and then I'll tell you the, the phrase that I'd like to use in that passage. Ephesians 2, Paul's writing about what Jesus has done to reconcile. Jews and Gentiles, and he says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. And he has made the two groups one, and he has destroyed the dividing barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And that's the, the phrase I'd like to just borrow for this message today, this dividing wall of hostility. The Roman Empire had many dividing walls of hostility, and I think many would say the world today has many dividing walls of hostility. 
And I wonder what dividing wall of hostility you might have experienced in your life or what dividing wall of hostility you are facing at the moment in your reality, wherever you are watching in the world at this time. You see, I think the pattern of the world is to marginalize, to divide, to build walls between. Where the pattern of the kingdom, the pattern that Paul speaks about here in Ephesians, is that Jesus comes and he breaks barriers. He breaks dividing walls of hostility. And so what we want to look at in the book of Acts today as we consider a move for all is how Acts reflects for us, how Acts shows us how God's move breaks the dividing wall of hostility, whatever that wall might be, how God gives us examples in Acts. He patterns for us in the book of Acts how he breaks dividing walls of hostility. And I want to go back to the beginning of the book of Acts in chapter 2, where it's just been the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out, the men and women who are in the upper room, the 120, run out onto the streets, and they're accused of being drunk. And Peter stands up and preaches to them, and he explains to the crowd, he gives context to what God is doing. And he, and he quotes a prophecy from Joel that I think is quite fundamental in our understanding of when God moves for all. And so if you can turn in your devices or in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, uh, this scripture will also come up on the screens. And we're going to read from verse 16 to 18, where Peter quotes this prophecy from the book of Joel. Peter says, now this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So part of what Peter is saying here is that when God moves, when the spirit moves, everyone gets included. It's the young and the old, the young men and the young women, the young men and the, the older men. There's the servants, which would speak of generally the followers of Christ, but the commentators that I read also say this can speak to social class as well. People in different social classes, men and women from different genders, they're all included in the outpouring of the Spirit. That's part of God's plan. And so what we see from, this, from Joel, and we're going to look at that a little bit now in the book of Acts, is how God calls people from every nation to follow Jesus. People from every nation are called to follow Jesus. And once they're following Jesus and they become disciples of Jesus, they identify with him. He becomes the primary uh, way they identify their lives. They are Christian. They are followers of Christ. Now, the first place we see this is actually on the day of Pentecost, just before Peter preaches. Luke writes for us and he says there were Jews from every nation under earth, probably meaning a wide variety. But in uh, chapter 2 from verse 8 to 11, he lists at least 14 different ethnic groups, 14 different regions, 14 different people groups that are present there where the people are speaking in their languages so that the gospel can go to those places. God-fearing Jews from every nation are taken and the gospel reaches people from many nations. In fact, the, 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 the Greek word that we talk about, the nations, is actually the word ethnos, which we today obviously get our der derivation of ethnic groups from. But ethnos is the nations, most often translated as the Gentiles. Because the Jews spoke about themselves and then the ethnos. Ethnos is used about 43 times in the book of Acts. It's a strong focus in what Luke is doing because Luke is showing us how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ went to every nation. We also see another significant passage in Acts chapter 10 when God speaks and uses Peter to break this barrier between Jew and Gentile. But 
God willing, later on in our series, we're going to look specifically at, at Peter. But I want to start today by uh, looking at uh, the church in Antioch. And we're going to read in Acts chapter 11 about this church in Antioch. The church in Antioch has long um, fascinated me. It's kind of captured my imagination. And so won't you read with me a couple of things about this church in Antioch. We're going to read in Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read from verse 19 to 21, and then I'll quickly tell you what happens in the next three verses, and then we'll pick up the reading again in verse 25. So in Acts 11, it, it records for us how this church in Antioch was started, how it was birthed. Verse 19, now those who had been scattered by perse the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews, because I think Luke's gone a little back in history, perhaps before Peter's experience in Acts chapter 10. But the idea, the mindset was that this message of Jesus is for Jewish people. It's, a, it's the fulfillment of all the Jewish promises. It's a Jewish phenomenon. Uh, we know later on in the first century world, they, the Christians were initially regarded as a Jewish sect. Uh, there was still this identification that they were largely Jewish in, in many parts of the Roman Empire. It's interesting that it's those who are scattered by persecution. And up until this point in the book of Acts, actually, persecution seems to be the main church planting strategy. Every time someone gets persecuted, uh, various believers flee. And then wherever they go, they preach and tell people about Jesus and churches are planted. So uh, it would be a great course. Persecution is a church planting strategy. But God's going to do something different. Here. And so they've got quite a narrow focus. Let me get back to the text in verse 20. Some of them, some of these scattered believers, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. Uh, this is Antioch in, in Syria. It's kind of today more about where southeastern Turkey, just on the curve of the Mediterranean Sea. They go to Antioch in Syria and uh, they begin speaking to the Greeks also, meaning non-Jewish people. They start speaking to outsiders, if we can use that language. And they tell them about the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. What a phrase. God gives them favor. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And now suddenly they see, uh, to use very um, utilitarian language, the gospel works for non-Jewish people too. The message of Jesus, the message of what Jesus has done in dying for your sins and calling you to follow him. It works for non-Jewish people. It works for people without a Jewish background too. God was with them. And many people turned to the Lord. Now, verse 22 to 24, the, the church in Jerusalem hears about this. And they send Barnabas, who's described as a man full of the spirit and faith, to go and see what's God doing. And probably a little bit of, is this God as well? You know, is it, is it all done properly? And is it the right thing? And Barnabas gets there and he says, well, this is God. He sees this is God. And he preaches and ministers there. And it says that many other people were brought to the Lord. Now, I want to pick up the narrative in verse 22 for us again. Now, Barnabas is in Antioch, and God's doing something in this church in Antioch. And Barnabas, verse 25 says that Barnabas went to Tarsus. Tarsus is the little bit further up to the, to the west, and it's the place where Paul, who was saved miraculously on, the, on his journey to the Damascus Road, where Paul lives. This is probably about 11 to 14 years after Paul's salvation experience. Uh, so Paul got saved, did some preaching in the area of Damascus, maybe a little bit in Jerusalem, and then he went back to his home city, Tarsus, where it was a Roman city. He was a Roman citizen. And he's living there. And Barnabas remembers Saul, Paul. And he goes and he looks for him. Verse 26, and he says, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, 
Paul and Barnabas meet with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And so this church in Antioch, this record we have for us here in Acts chapter 11, is our first recorded intentional multi-ethnic church, multi-racial, multi-ethnic church. Uh, there might have been others, but this is the one that Luke picks to tell us about because it's significant for his story about how the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire. But this church in Antioch is the first multiracial church where people broke down that dividing wall of hostility, where people crossed the barrier and they went after what God was doing. And they started preaching to the nations as well. And so we have this picture of this church. This church is more significant. We're going to read about that shortly. But I do want to point something else out. This last little sentence in our Bibles that Luke just drops in there for us. He says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, before this, and, and there were different names by which Christians were called followers of the way. As I mentioned earlier, some would have just regarded them as, as, a, as a Jewish sect. But now we have this church where it's, it's not just Jewish people and it's not just Gentile people. There's, there's men and women from the nations that are part of this church and God is doing something and God's discipling people. Paul and Barnabas teach there for a year. And it's at this church where they first get called Christians, the ones who follow Christ, the ones who identify with Christ. Because you see, they couldn't fit into another label. They couldn't fit into another categorization anymore. They weren't Jewish. They weren't Gentile. They weren't this or they weren't that. They were followers of Christ. And so we get this name where the where there's no way, other way to classify them, so now we have to be classified as followers of Christ. Christ becomes the primary identifier in their lives. This largely Jewish movement crosses boundaries. It breaks the dividing wall of hostility, and God does a miracle. One more thing about the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. I'm just going to read the first three verses there because it tells us something significant about this church and what, what they did in the history of the church. Paul, uh, Luke starts, for us, sorry, in Acts chapter 13, and he says, Now at the church of Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, who we know about, Simeon called Niger, now that means dark-skinned, so he, he was obviously ethnically maybe from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene, a different part of the Roman Empire. Uh, Meanaen, I think is how you pronounce it, and it notes that he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, so he came from the higher echelons in society, the, the socially connected classes. And then there was Saul. And so already here in the prophets and teachers group, perhaps it was a leadership group, it doesn't exactly say that in the text, but they're praying and they're waiting on God, but it's a diverse group. It's a multi-ethnic group. And while they were worshiping and fasting, verse 2 says, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. And so after they prayed and fasted, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And this becomes a key part of the rest of the story of the book of Acts, where Paul and Barnabas and a team, they go on different missionary journeys. Three are recorded for us in the book of Acts, and we're not going to look in detail at them. But what happens here is significant is that this church in Antioch becomes not only the first multi-ethnic church that's recorded for us, it also becomes the first recorded sending church, where now the gospel has been intentionally preached, it's been mission starts, and it's not expansion by persecution, it's expansion by intent, it's expansion under the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes about in this church. And so Paul and Barnabas, and later they separated because they had a bit of a fight, no small disagreement, because people are people, people aren't perfect. Even in 
the greatest of teams, the most significant ministry team in that time, some tricky things happened and they got resolved later as far as we understand. But they go on these three missionary journeys. The first journey they go through the rest of the Roman province of Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and they plant churches. They go to um, Cyprus and they go into Asia Minor and they plant churches there, reaching non-Jewish speaking people. Every town they're going to, they go first to the synagogues, that's Paul's pattern, to get a base of believers witnessing to God's people. And then he goes and he reaches the Gentiles. They, on their other missionary journeys, they go into Greece, uh, all the way from Thessalonica, Philippi, and even down into Corinth and, and Athens uh, in these places. They spread into the Greek peeping world. They go to the Roman colony of Philippi. And later on, as we know, that Paul also ends up in Rome where there's already a church. And so this church in Antioch becomes the missionary sending church where the gospel is sent for all people from every ethnos, people from every tribe and nation are not only invited into the kingdom, they're, they're reached out for the kingdom. And then when they become part of the kingdom, one of the things we see about Paul's missionary team is it's a diverse team. He's got Jewish and Gentile people on his team. There's men and women that support him in his team. And so it's a move for all. But not only do we see in Acts this move for the nations, and I've spent a little bit of time there, but we also see that men and women together are called to follow and identify with Jesus. So the nations are called to follow Jesus, but men and women are also called to follow and identify with Jesus. This started in the upper room, the 120, the 120 that were waiting for the day of Pentecost, waiting on God. It was men and women together. The, the Christian faith is not a gender-specific faith. It doesn't give priority in that sense to agenda. Women are called. Men are called. I'm going to go through just some examples now in the next two sections, and I'm, I'm just going to give uh, chapters uh, for you to refer to. We just don't have time to, to read every verse specifically. But if you can just hear the, the variety and the diversity of what this move for all that is happening in the book of Acts does. In chapter 8, when Saul is persecuting the church, it says he, men and women were thrown into prison. It's not just the men who were following, it's the women who had so identified with Jesus that they were also persecuted. There was a thrown into prison under Paul, Saul's persecution. In Acts 9, we read about Paul raising T Tabitha from the dead, but she was a woman who was known for her good works and caring from the poor, for the poor, a key ministry of the gospel. It was her testimony in that region. Great story in Acts chapter 16 where Paul goes to Philippi and there's no Jewish synagogue there. There's not enough Jewish families in the community to, to start a synagogue. And so as is customary, they go outside the city on the Sabbath and he finds a group of women and he preaches specifically to the women. He has a man crossing a cultural boundary. This was quite a taboo in his day for him to have done this, by the way. But he preaches, he reaches out, he takes the gospel to the women. And then Lydia and her whole household respond, which would have meant if there were children in the household. Uh, she seems to have been a woman of means because she had her own household. Uh, we're not told if she had a husband or if he was still living. Uh, but her slaves would have gotten baptized as well. They come to faith. And then Lydia says, if you regard me as a Christian, if you regard me as a follower of Christ, come and live with me. Steps across the cultural, the dividing wall of hostility. And, and Paul and Barnabas and the team stay with Lydia and enjoy her hospitality. Acts 17, in Thessalonica, uh, uh, Luke records for us and says that the, the, some of the leading women in the city of Thessalonica, the women from the upper social echelons, they come to faith. Makes other people very jealous. But these leading women come to faith and have a significant role in the church. Paul's speech in, on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, where he's, he's speaking to the, the brightest minds of the day, the philosophers, it's like the philosoph 
the intellectual capital of the Roman Empire in Athens, some would argue. And Paul speaks on Mars Hill and records for us that a guy called Dionysus, who was a member of the Areopagus, he was part of the, the intellectual elite in Athens, he gets converted and also specifically mentions a woman called Damaris, who comes to the Lord and becomes a significant figure in the church there. Famously, we read in Acts 18 about Aquila and Priscilla, but always usually mentions Priscilla's name first. The, the wife is mentioned first. Highly unusual for Luke to have done that. But they travel with Paul. They become his uh, ministry companions. And they, so Priscilla and Aquila, uh, teach Apollos. They disciple him more effectively in the ways of Jesus. And so we've got women taking up leading roles in the church. On Paul's trip back to Jerusalem, he stops over at Philip's house, and Luke just drops in there that, you know, Philip had four daughters who were prophetesses. They had a recognition of a ministry office in the church. And so not only are women being reached, like in the case of Lydia in Philippi, but they, once they respond to this invitation, once they respond, they become active participants in the mission of God. It's a move for all. And this would have been against the very strict and defined gender roles that were common in that day. But not only is it the nations, not only does God break the dividing wall between uh, the genders, the wall of hostility perhaps between the genders, we also see in Acts that people from every walk of life are called to follow Jesus. People from every walk of life are called to follow Jesus and become disciples of Jesus. And there's numerous examples of this throughout the book of Acts. We've spoken about men and women. We've spoken about the powerful, people from elite households, uh, people from poor households, people living in the provinces, the kind of not the um, people that lived in the cities, not so much the sophisticated people, the more simpler people from the provinces. We see merchants getting saved. Paul reaching out to his jailer in Philippi and him and his whole household getting saved. The sailors on the ship, ship with Saul, uh, members of the Roman army, the centurion in Acts chapter 10, the centurion on the ship with Paul. Paul reaches out. The gospel is, is uh, everyone is invited into the kingdom of God. Paul speaks to governors, he speaks to kings, and he spoke to the philosophers on Axe Hill. And this move of God breaking down the dividing wall of hostility was challenging to the patterns of the Roman Empire, to the patterns of the day. Uh, Pastor Louis spoke last week about the pattern of excessive patriotism. This was a problem in Rome as well, this identification that we, I identify as a Roman. And here comes the message of Jesus Christ and says, no, Let's be called Christians. Let's be people who identify first that we are followers for Christ. It's a move for all. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue. The book of Revelation paints this picture for us later on. And so I want to start again with this phrase that I said in the, in the, in the introduction. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, and there's no one who's not invited into the kingdom. And, and once you've responded Everyone participates in the mission of God. Everyone participates in the move of God. But we also see in the book of Acts that God does call for a response. The invitation is for all, and everyone's involved in the mission of God. But God does call for a response. And I want to turn here to Acts chapter 17. Paul is kind of concluding his speech to the philosophers on Mars Hill. And we want to pick up his speech in Acts chapter 17 from verse 29 to 31. God calls for a response. And Paul, in conclusion to his message there, says, Since we are God's offspring, God is the creator, we are his offspring. And we need to remember this. God is the one who made us. 
Since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like silver, sorry, gold or silver or stone, an image being made in human design and skill. Paul's referring here to the idolatry that he saw in Athens and the idolatry of the Roman Empire. You know, they used to make statues and they used to have temples and shrines and people would go there to worship. And so Paul's kind of going, it's things fashioned by the created creature's hands. Why are you worshipping them, made by human design and skill? Now, perhaps for many of us today, we don't go and fashion idols out of gold, silver or wood. But our temptation is very real to create a God in our own image, to create a God by human design and human skill, a God that we're comfortable with, not the God who created us, to whom we will give an account. But Paul speaks of this creator God and he says, verse 30, Acts 17, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, the ignorance of idolatry. But now he commands all people, everywhere, to repent. It's a move for all. God commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. It will be a just judgment. It will be a right judgment. By the man he has appointed, speaking of Jesus, and he has given proof that he will do so by raising him from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead, and that's part of the judgment. What are you going to do with Jesus? Everyone's invited into the kingdom. Everyone's invited to participate in the kingdom. But God calls for a response. The way into the kingdom, the door into the kingdom, the step into the family of God is repentance. Repentance means a change of mind in its, in its literal meaning. And it simply means this, that I'm going to stop living for myself. I'm going to stop living according to my own patterns. I'm going to stop living to, according to my own design. I'm going to start living, stop living according to the patterns of the world. And I'm going to turn. And I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to primarily identify with Jesus. I am going to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. So there's no one that should not be reached. And once everyone is reached, they're invited to participate in the mission of God. And just like Jesus, where he reached out to those who were in, he reached out to those who had been marginalized and ostracized in society, those who lived on the fringes of society. As we go and we model God's care, we can go out and model people that have other people, perhaps society, the world, tends to ignore. I mentioned earlier that the pattern of the world is to marginalize. God's pattern is to unite us in Christ Jesus and to break this dividing wall of hostility. Now, I'm going to pray in a minute, but we're going to end our service in a little bit of an unusual way this morning, if we may. Um, for many of you will be aware, particularly those in the South family as well, if you don't know, uh, there's a number of missionaries that are affiliated and are supported here at the church in the East. And uh, earlier on, uh, a couple of weeks ago, they got together and they had a virtual retreat. Uh, a Zoom, I think, was, was the platform they used, it, a retreat where they got together and, you know, God ministered to them and they ministered to one another. But one of the things they did on this retreat is that they prayed a benediction. Uh, it's from Ephesians chapter 1, and it's going to come up on the screen when I'm finished praying. Uh, the English will be there, but... What the missionaries did for us is they prayed in the, the language of the region where they lived and they, from the places where they were in the world, all over the world, people praying in different languages. I think it's probably somewhere between 10 and 14 different languages, a move for all, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And they're going to pray this benediction. It's a, it's a phenomenal prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 1. They're going to pray it over us in different languages. And so when I'm finished praying, won't you please 
don't tune out. Don't jump out of the recording. Stay pardoned and let God bless you with this benediction. And then once that's done, we've got a very important announcement from our school here just around the open day. So won't you also please stay tuned for that. But won't you join me in prayer now? Remember, God calls for a response. So Father, thank you that you have called us, people from every tribe, language, nation, every background, every gender. You have called us into the kingdom of the Son that you love. And so, Lord, where we need to change our minds about how we've been living, where we've been conforming to patterns, we repent and we turn towards you. In whichever area of our life we turn towards you, won't you transform us into citizens of the kingdom of God? And, and Lord, where we are already citizens of your kingdom, we are already part of your family. Thank you that we can participate. No matter what nation we come from, what gender we are, what social background, we're all part of the family of God. Thank you that you have broken the dividing wall of hostility. And perhaps as you're watching, you're facing a dividing wall of hostility in your life. Won't you invite God to come and break down that wall? Won't you perhaps walk across that barrier and forgive where you need to forgive, repent if it's necessary, and then welcome the other, the person that used to be on the other side of that wall of hostility, welcome them in. Do life together. Become part of the family and the mission of God because God is doing a move for all. Please join us as we listen to the benediction now. Und er gebe euch erleuchtete Augen des Herzens empfangen, in hoe overweldigend groot de krachtige werking van Gods macht is voor ons die geloven. Faikatu nahnu nahna le mu'minin hasab amala shidati kuwatihi. Asher pa'al ba'mashiach ba'cha kimot to mivein chametim u'broshivot to limino v'ashamain. Over alle makter og ondskrefter over alt velde og herredømme og over alle navn som nevnes kan. Ikke bare i denne tid, men også i den kommende. Menetapkan dia sebagai kepala atas segala-gala bagi jemaat. Zij begon er, die volheid van hom, wat alles en allemaal vervult. Bikumba kutja eye apatrule omeho wenu, kutja mumune onjera ye. Kukutja mutiwe kutja oma onjironge muitanena owo ochikena.
family! It's our school's open day on the 13th of March and we're really excited to tell you all about it. Moms and dads, are you searching for a Christian school that trains leaders to serve nations? Look no further. As student leaders at Hatfield Christian School, we wholeheartedly recommend our school. Not only have I learned academics, but how to do life in a godly way. Shaped by biblical principles, Hatfield Christian School partners with you in prepping your children to fulfill their purpose and potential. We are nurtured spiritually, intellectually, physically and socially. Our school was birthed out of Hatfield Christian Church and our teachers pursue excellence while embracing the church's vision to extend God's kingdom in hearts, homes and beyond. Our school is committed to discipling the nations, starting right here at home in our community. Come find out more at our open day on the 13th of March while taking a tour of our school's premises. This year, you have to pre-register on Quicket to ensure that we abide by COVID-19 gathering restrictions. Book your time slot now. Visit our website's homepage and scroll down to our open day adverts. See, See you there! there.